Hey there, TV watchers. Bill Brio here, and you're listening to Brio TV, the podcast, the show where we talk to special guests about the constantly evolving world of television. This episode is brought to you by Super Channel, providing viewers with exceptional value and variety. CTV, which urges you to get into it this summer, and by Hollywood Suite, showcasing the best movies of the 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Hi, everybody. It's Bill Brio here. Strangely enough, I host Brio TV, the podcast, and uh, very excited today. Have a, a wonderful guest, and uh, let me just set it up. Now, believe it or not, Corner Gas, this series has been going for 17 years, if you count both the live action and Corner Gas anima- animated. It's one of Canada's highest-rated comedy brands of all time. It spawned a live-action series, a movie, an animated series, two chart-topping books, sold-out comedy tours, a successful line of merchandise, top-selling DVDs, a theme song, a holiday single, and a thriving tourist industry in Rolo, Saskatchewan, where the live-action sitcom and movie were filmed on location. The franchise is created, executive produced, and written by my first-ever return guest to this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Brent But Brent, welcome. Thank you. I'm honored. I didn't realize I was the first ever return guest. This is, uh, I should have worn a nicer t-shirt. <laughs> well, I could give you some time if you need to change. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no, I'm, I'm quite happy to have you back. It's it's great to see you and to see the Spider-Man pinball uh, machine is still there in oh, your yeah. uh, in your studio. It looks pretty cool. And I cool. still have not got my own high score. I, I still don't own high score on my own machine. Someone it's always else some. Yeah, it's always like a buddy of mine comes over, plays it once. Oh, what's this do? Ding, ding, ding. High score. <laughs> I'm out here 11 hours a day, Bill. <laughs> uh, for folks who can't see this, that's everyone else. Uh, Brent has a, a great old-fashioned, uh, it's, a, it's a pinball game, and it's uh, of Spider-Man. And this is the actual game that you played many, many years ago before Corner Gas even began, right? Well, this game, this same game, this is a 1980 Spider-Man. It's a Gottlieb 1980 Spider-Man game. And that same game was in my hometown where I grew up. It was in the back of the bus depot. So if you could scrounge together a quarter, you could go back there and play it. And I did. And then um, when I was putting together my uh, little audio space here, my little audio video space, which is just out of my garage, I call it the game room studio because I got foosball and I got poker out here. But I do a lot of uh, I've done a lot of editing, a lot of AV stuff out here. Um, I wanted to have a pinball machine. And so I get to looking around and talking to people. And a guy says, well, I have a 1980 Godlieb Spider-Man. I said, holy Christmas crackers. That was in my hometown. So I bought it. Yeah, fantastic. I think that's awesome. Uh, all of us wish we'd have uh, a pinball machine in our work and home space. I always think they're kind of cool. I was years ago, I remember Sam the Record Man. They had stores all over and in downtown uh-huh. Toronto. When they finally called it quits, they had an auction and they had a few games on the floor of their store. And uh, I got there too late. They went uh, fairly reasonably, as from what I remember, but. Maybe. Ed Robinson from Kid from uh, uh, Bare Naked Ladies probably bought them all. He's he's a maniac for them. He's got his house is just pinball machines. Really? 
Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. He loves well, it. Uh, the, uh, maybe, you know, maybe he'll have a, a, a sale or something I can get in on. Uh, Brent, listen, congrats on uh, the fourth season of Corner Gas Animated. I've watched the first two episodes, laughed out loud, and uh, really enjoyed um, the uh, Parachute the Messenger, which is the clever <laughs> title of the first new episode. <laughs> well, you know, that's how we come up with storylines. We've been doing this for years. We will come up with a title. We'll do some kind of play on words, some kind of uh, hinky, punny title. And then we say, okay, if that was the title of an episode, what would be some storylines that would justify having that title? And it's one of the little creative kernels because it's, uh, you know, it's difficult to pull reasonable storylines out of the air nonstop, endlessly. It's like I always said in stand-up, if somebody said, write a joke, that's very difficult. If somebody said, write a joke about a pickle, you go, okay, well, now I got it. Sometimes parameters help the creativity. And so... I just kind of employed that same thing years ago to coming up with storyline ideas. We would, we would do a uh, uh, title first, usually some play on words. And then if that sounded reasonable and we enjoyed the title, we'd say, okay, how, what would be some stories that would justify that? And that's, that was always our starting point. And this that's was a, one of those. That's a great idea. I, I, uh, I'm glad that that's uh, the, the, really the way it works. You know, um, one of the things it's like I writing would- country music. Come up with a title first, (laughs) play it backwards. Um, uh, You know, one thing I like about watching Bill Maher, uh, real time with Bill Maher. I don't know if you watch that show, but on HBO, they have uh, this series and they have uh, real time and um, new rules. And then the photo they have a they start the segment. There's a very funny caption under it that I don't know who writes them, but it's a play on words like parachute the messenger and uh, Maybe they do it the same way you do it, that they come up with the, with the funny title first. It sounds like they just stole that from Walk with Yan. Oh, <laughs> Walk with Remember Yan. That? Wow. That? This is okay. I've done 35 yeah, This podcasts. is a lot of this is for your younger listeners. This is that's the first reference to Walk with Yan that we've had. <laughs> uh, that was a, a cooking show. Uh, and I don't remember what Yan's last name was. Um, nobody look it up. Listen, uh, so you've got these two episodes I've seen. Very funny. The first one is about uh, Lacey decides she's going to stir things up and, and jump out of an airplane. Have you ever gone parachuting? No, uh, I doubt that I ever will. It certainly does not sound like something that I would do. I'll tell you this. So a buddy of mine that I grew up with, um, like in the you know same grade in high school and everything, he uh, had the, he and I have the same birthday. We were born apparently fifteen minutes apart. Wow. So we had said on our twentieth birthday we made a pact we were going to go skydiving, and then it, it was fun to watch. Like as we crept closer to the day, who was going to? It was clear <laughs> neither of us wanted to do this, and who would be the one to find the proper justification? Right. But yeah, we we bailed on it. Sanity prevailed. Well, but I like the uh, the thing about the episode that I really like is that Lacey's uh, lifetime goal has always been to jump out of a plane. And Wanda's life goal has been to push someone out of a plane. Right. So they right. find themselves. Well, this is going to work out great for us. Yeah. Uh, Wanda, a very aggressive episode for Wanda. She uh, <laughs> gets to shove people left and right. Um it's it's and also what I like about it is all the jokes about texting and mobile phones. Um, it seems like um, you got you and the writers yourself 
got a lot of this out of your system that uh, somebody needed to speak up against uh, uh, overuse of uh, mobile devices and uh, pull the plug on that. And that's one of the fun parts of that show. Yeah, it's, it's time somebody took high tech to task, and I'm just the uh, I'm just the hombre to do it. Yeah. Um, did do you do you think uh, that there is that society has gone a little too tilted towards uh, being plugged in all the time? I think so. I mean, I find that uh, I find there's a direct correlation between my uh, mental and emotional state and how much time I'm spending on social media. It's it's a real correlation. I find that those days when I get up in the morning and don't open Twitter for a while, yeah, um, I'm much more productive. I'm much more at peace. I don't feel anxious because it's really a ceaseless social media is a ceaseless torrent of all that is wrong in the world happening right now. <laughs> Here is a, a an endless stream of horrors. Yeah, please provide your opinions on each of them and pray to baby Jesus that we like the opinion you put forward. Otherwise, you're going to hear about it, and so it just becomes this kind of. Uh, anxiety-ridden, toxic place. And uh, many people are putting stuff out um, to be helpful. They're putting things out with the best of intentions. But when taken in aggregate, it just becomes a ceaseless torrent of horrors. Yeah. And um, it's, it's hard. I don't think a human was meant to deal with ceaseless torrent of horrors. You know? <laughs> I don't think so, no. Uh, no, and so you have to disengage. And I've been... Um, I think I, I may have told you I, I wrote a novel. I, I've always wanted to write a novel. Yeah. And um, I would get up in the morning and I would begin writing. And, and those are the days when I first started. I would get up and not open social media. I would get up and begin writing. And those are fantastic, wonderful days. And I'm, I'm not disavowing all social media. All I'm saying is I spend much less time on. And I will go a day sometimes, two days, without opening well, I'll go a day for sure without opening Twitter, but I will go two, three days without posting anything. And um, it's weirdly liberating. And Have you ever had to shut it down? Have you ever, I mean, we live in a cancel culture society now. Have you ever, somebody responded to something and you just had to uh, sit it out for a few days? Um, not really. I, I had somebody, I think, kind of try to do that to me once, but, but it was, it, it, it was, and not naming any names, so it, sort of a, uh, Canadian pundit who, uh, likes to, uh, attack people. And, um, he tried to get something going on me over a tweet that I said, and, anyway looking at the responses from everybody was just saying to him why why do you do this everybody why right you're, you're a knob basically <laughs> it, it really kind of it was just a bunch of people saying to him good lord you do this a lot just relax that's hilarious uh you're a knob there's a good title for an episode i think too yeah you know you're fun with that but one. you'd have to have a play on words it would have to be like you'd have to come up with a so it'd be instead of you're it'd be like urine knob like yeah. urine so Got maybe it. Hank wet his pants right. accidentally and he's embarrassed. That would be one storyline. And Knob is like um, they, uh, uh, instead of the pull handle, they get uh, doorknobs installed in corner gas and nobody can get in. They're too <laughs> slippery and slick. These are how episodes get made. We'll be right back after this message. Natural selection, I've avoided all detection and the tender bits underneath. 
One of the hottest genres on TV today is the true crime docudrama. Earlier this year, Super Channel had great success with the documentary Catching a Serial Killer, Bruce MacArthur. As a result, they've just made a deal with the Canadian production house Breakthrough Entertainment to program five new unscripted true crime docuseries. The first of which is I Lived with a Killer which comes to Super Channel Fuse starting June 25th. This weekly series doesn't just focus on the crime, but on the irreparable harm a killer imposes on their own families. Future titles in this series include Charm to Death, Cruise Ship Killers, and Sunshine Slangs. Try saying that five times fast. Don't miss the 20-episode series only on Super Channel. And we're back. Well, uh, Brent, speaking of urine... Um, there's a line in the uh, second new episode I just think is the best ever line in Corner Gas Animated. Uh, Davis turns to Hank and says, Uranus is worth a lot of money. Um, and I laughed out loud at that point. Yeah. That was pretty funny. The thing I, like, the thing I enjoy about that is through, everywhere else in the episode, they refer to it as Uranus. Right. And for that one thing, he says, Uranus. <laughs> and they're, they're momently, why, why would you say it like that this one time? We, um, we had a good laugh in the writing room about that. I bet you did. Uh, I like that episode, too, where you get to kind of um, – Hank geeks out a bit on uh, superhero culture with all the uh, dolls and things he's collected. Uh, and, and this is something that's close to your own heart, superheroes and, and yeah. comic books and stuff. That was a chance for you to have some fun there, right? Yeah, absolutely. And just, you know, like coming up with names of uh, fictional superheroes and, yeah. and superhero groups and things like that. That's always a lot of fun. Yeah. Um what were I remember some- in, the, in live action one time we had to do that. Brent was going to see a comic creator. And uh, one of the writers, Paul Mather, came up with the, the name of the comic book was Dr. Spike and the Doomsday Five. <laughs> I always thought that's <laughs> what a great title. Dr. S- Dr. I, Spike and the Doomsday Five. I think I have some of their records. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, uh, it's fun. Um, and, uh, you know, in the last, of course, you've done four seasons now of Corner Gas Animated. Um, the last year and a half almost has been a strange time for everybody, but perhaps the best time ever to be a producer of animated television, if you're going to be in this business. Uh, did you find yeah. it so? I mean, because it's just almost a pandemic-proof uh, form, isn't it? In a way, yeah. I mean, animation does lend itself to be done piecemeal. Um, and. I mean, in this day and age, like you still need to have meetings and you still need to be able to visually see things. So even 10 years ago, it would be difficult. But the fact that we can um, meet online like this and we can share a screen and show drawings and show, uh, you know, scripts. And so the the writing room, you know, we did we were able to shift gears and go from, you know, we used to get together in a boardroom and we would break stories in person, the whole writing crew. Um, we had to shift to do that online we would have online meetings um and the same when we have um audio mix and when we have uh sound spotting sessions all those things that we would do live we just had to shift um to doing it online and so the fact that we live in a time when we have the bandwidth to do that is fortunate but yeah a lot of live action shows had to shut down for a while and we didn't we were able to just pivot make some adjustments 
yeah. and keep going. So yeah, we, we, we never didn't count our blessings during, during all this, knowing how fortunate we were compared to uh, what some other people had to deal with. Sure. When you think how I know Murdoch mysteries or shows, all of the safety precautions and preparations and shields and the makeup people. And, uh, you know, literally you have no, none of those worries, do you? Yeah, none of that. So what the, the biggest shift for us was normally we would like to get the cast into the uh, two studios at the same time. We have uh, some of our cast live in Ontario. Some of right. our, most of our cast live in BC. So we would get together in a studio in Vancouver and a studio in Toronto at the same time patched in. And we were able to interact um, and do things in real time, which I always felt was part of the success of Corner Gas was that intangible chemistry that these actors brought to the table. And, you know, the way if, if, you know, Hank and Wanda are acting together in real life, Nancy and Fred, there is a dynamic there that you can't fake. Um, you know, Karen and, and Davis and, you know, Oscar right. Neman, Brent and Lacey, any, any of these, I mean, any character with any other character, there, there's an inherent dynamic that you get when they're really acting with, with each other in real time. And so we would do that in the studio and we had to kind of stop doing that for a while. We found a way to, we started scheduling so that like on a day where if there was a lot of Brent and Oscar, for example, right, we would try and book Eric in studio in Toronto and me in studio in Vancouver at the same time. So we could have the actual interactions. And then each of the studios had a, a B studio. So we could, maybe we could have Nancy and Fred could both be in the Vancouver studio, but in separate booths, separate studios. Wow. So you did it more like a radio show than the trend nowadays, I believe, is just so one at a time, as you're saying, you're isolated yeah. in a booth and uh, yeah. don't have that interaction. That's fantastic. Uh, I think it does make a difference. A lot of uh, energy and, and I don't understand how people do it the other way when you're having really to guess what the other reaction is all the time, don't you? Yeah, I mean, you know, you can kind of do it, especially with Corner Gas, where we're so familiar with each other that, I, you know, I have a pretty good sense of how Fred is going to read a Hank line. I have a pretty good sense of how uh, Tara is going to read a Karen line. You know, you have a pretty good sense of it, um, but but it, it, it really is different. I felt from the get-go, anytime we could have the actors reacting with each other, because it's like they say, acting is reacting. That's the core of it. And um it, it just is different. Yeah, no, definitely sure is. Um, now, here's the thing, though. Um, this is the fourth and final season of Corner Gas. What? And, yeah, I hate to break it to you. Oh, um, Bill. This seems like uh, it, it, a show that could have gone on uh, longer. Uh, I mean, uh, and especially when, uh, and now I know things are changing, getting back to normal, but given that it's pandemic-proof, uh, it's um, uh, a show that is one that you want to bank right now. You could keep going and make more episodes. But why is it the fourth and final season? I mean, I don't know the reasoning behind it. It was CTV's call. We were, you know, prepared to do more. I would have loved to have done a couple more seasons. But um, there are always a lot of that's – that's the thing. It's like in business, you know, in sports, I always have friends of mine that are like uh, – they know exactly what the GM should do. Right. Yeah. And they're like, hey, they got to trade this guy, this guy. And I'm like, really? Like, you're, you're going to manage an $82 million salary cap? You can't. I saw you walking out of H&R Block. You can't even do your own taxes. <laughs> so it's kind of like that with business. There's always 
a hundred thousand variables. And I think one of the one of the things is we're in a time when uh, broadcast television, regular broadcast television, just is not generating revenue in the way that it used to. And I think right. everybody across the board is in um, kind of a retooling mode. And so, but that's a guess on my part. Um, uh, you know, it's CTV's prerogative, and and I have nothing but good things to say. My my relationship with CTV has been fantastic, and they've been amazing champions for this show from from the from the beginning. Yes, that's certainly true. Seventeen year uh, history with one uh, media organization—that's pretty amazing. So you're suggesting earlier that fans of the Toronto Maple Leafs and Vancouver Canucks might second guess the people that run those teams. Yeah, I have friends like sit across the poker table and they'll like uh, holler about the Canucks, uh, the G- GM move, you know, that he's doing the right. bad contract. And I'm like, didn't you borrow 30 bucks from me? <laughs> like, don't you, aren't you a grown man working a full time job? Right. And you just borrowed 20 bucks for me so you can continue playing poker. So maybe don't tell the uh, billion dollar business <laughs> managing an $82 million salary cap yeah. the ins and outs of what they should do. But okay. it's part of the fun, though, at the same time. You know, uh, you grousing about the bad moves your team is making. I've just now, I've always assumed that the people running it have some more knowledge than I do. I'm content to sit yeah, back. Yeah, and- I, I, I think so. But there are a lot of folks who don't see it that way, for oh, sure. I know. Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, that's kind of across the board, isn't it? Like, you see people take, dig their heels in and make very strong stances about something and yeah. then you give them one second piece of information and they go oh hang on right i didn't realize that oh, yeah. like, wow why were you so heated without knowing that? <laughs> never mind the full breadth of the story yeah never let facts get in the way i think yeah. though there's the uh the, the idea for another animated show brent is um uh, uh, uh toronto maple leafs 20 uh year 3000 they still haven't won the cup and uh, you could just uh, explore that, I think, uh, on and on and on. Yeah, I, why don't we just uh, do whatever we can to anger the largest viewing market <laughs> in the nation? And this right. is why I'm glad you're not my manager, Bill. No, well, as you can see why that wouldn't work. Uh, on that note, we'll take a short break. And uh, then when we come back, we'll talk a bit about uh, maybe uh, life after pandemic for Brent Butt and uh, other things. So, uh uh, just stay tuned for this message. We'll be right back. Did you used to play with Lego bricks when you were a kid? Of course you did. Imagine you had an unlimited supply of Lego and somebody was going to award you tens of thousands of dollars for snapping together a brick version of the CN Tower or even a brick Stanley Cup. That's the deal with Lego Masters, back for a second season, Tuesday nights on CTV. Will Arnett is one of my favorite podcasters, and check him out on Smartless with Jason Baseman and Sean Hayes. He's the host of Lego Masters. It's all part of a fun summer schedule on CTV. Besides Lego Masters, the network is also airing the Celebrity Dating Game on Mondays. It's hosted by Zooey Deschanel from New Girl and Michael Bolton from, well, the 90s. CTV is also bringing back the Extreme Obstacle Course series Wipeout in a whole new version, plus the $100,000 Pyramid with Michael Strahan as host. 
There's also the Brady Quiz series, Mental Samurai, featuring Rob Lowe. So follow the Lego brick road and get into it this summer on CTV. All right, we're back with Brent Butt talking about Corner Gas Animated. The uh, fourth season is premiering. Is that July uh, 5th, Brent? When when are you back? July 5th, 8 o'clock Eastern Pacific. Check your local listings. But yeah, July 5th. And that's on uh, comedy, uh, CTV comedy, uh, and uh, Crave and other places you can stream the app. Uh, you can find it all over the uh, the Bell uh, Media world. Uh, and congratulations on that. That's fantastic. How many new episodes are we going to see this season? 13, uh, 13 new episodes coming their way, coming down the pipe. That's fantastic. And how long did it take? You, I mean, you work pretty fast in animation. Did, did that take a, a year and a half? How long does it take to make that many episodes? We deliver over the course of a year, basically. That's um, fantastic. That's really 12, 12 or 13 cool. episodes we, yeah. we are able to make in a year. I remember doing an animation panel with uh, some guys from uh, Fox Animation and some guys from Disney, no, HBO and they were commiserating about how fast they had to deliver shows. And it was uh, such a luxury. Like they were, t- they had like four times the amount of time that we had to deliver a show. Right. And when I told them what we did, uh, they, their jaws dropped and they wanted to have meetings to determine how we were able to. Yeah. Cause it, it looks beautiful. And it's, I mean, I don't see where you're cutting any corner. How, how are you but, able to, to do it so quickly? Uh, it's really a matter of a lot of people working a lot of hours. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Uh, a big crew that are very dedicated to the show. And, um, you know, Smiley Guy, our animation studio in Toronto, they they have been uh, absolutely amazing. And it's been so great for me to be able to learn the animation business from watching these people who are just so good at it and just live and breathe it and know it inside and out, making logistic decisions and, um, you know, cutting corners where you can and doing it in ways that you can't tell and just learning kind of that production of the animation side smiley guy has been uh boy they've been great and we we initially just went to them to um do the three minute demo that, that basically what that we showed the network to get the animated series but the yeah. notion was always to work with a vancouver um animation house because that's where i live right um but Smiley Guy was just so amazing to work with. Um, we we stuck with him through the whole way. And you were very hands-on in the uh, design of characters uh, right from the start, right? Well, I mean, in so much as I sat with the designer and said, yeah, I like that. Mm. I mean, uh, the, the designer of the characters is a guy here in Vancouver um, named Josh Metham, who's an animator and um, works at a company uh, here in Vancouver. And he, you know, we talk to a lot. Of, we, it's interesting. You kind of do an audition process. You talk to a bunch of designers. They draw their version of the characters, what you think, and you you look at all of them and you you think what what ones show potential or what ones are kind of in the style that you like. And Josh just had the characters that he designed. I really felt like they captured the essence of the actors who pl- were playing the parts of the characters yeah. and captured the characters. Looked like us, but also... It looked like, you know, one of the things from the get-go was to make this a show that could stand beside Bob's Burgers, stand beside uh, Rick and Morty, stand beside The Simpsons, and not look out of place from a quality standpoint. And Josh's characters really gave that that vibe. 
It sure does. And, uh, and the other beauty of it is uh, guys like uh, Fred Uenuk, uh doesn't uh, have any gray hair. Like, I think it just keeps everybody nice and young. <laughs> yeah, yeah, young forever, man. I had season one hairline for, I could have had it for the rest of my life. I could do with some season one hairline, that's for sure. Um, yeah, it's beautifully uh, rendered, and uh, congrats on all of that. Do you watch these other shows, the other animated series? Do you, do you look at BoJack Horseman or uh, Star Trek uh, Lower Decks? I haven't watched a lot of those. Bob's Burgers is the, uh, you know, I've always been a Simpsons fan. That'll always be the high water mark, I think. But Bob's Burgers, I just find, makes me laugh the most, for sure. Um, It's like effortless, effortless jokes, effortless, organic, natural comedy you know, one of my one of my mantras through my whole comedic career is the enemy of comedy is conspicuous effort. And Bob's <laughs> Burgers has the has the just the vibe that this is all just happening now. And they're just talking the way they talk um, I, to me. That's the funniest show. I think you're right. It does seem like it's just happening live, doesn't it? The, the well, characters are so real. They afford the character. They afford the actors the opportunity to improvise a little bit. Yeah. Um, partly, which you, you you know, in some ways, you can do if you have a, a large window of time to right. deliver an episode uh, and a lot of money. We don't have that, so we have to kind of stick to the script that allows you to stay on schedule better. Um, but I do think they give the uh, actors. They'll say, "Okay, we got what we need. Now let's do the same thing again, but feel free to jerk around, and maybe we'll come up with a joke." Wow. Do you, do you know that for a fact that that's how it's put together? Yeah. Wow. That's, yeah. That's like, basically they do, they, they do the run through of the scene, get what they need. So they know they have what they need to have. And then they say, let's do one for fun and see what we come up with. And sometimes there's pay dirt. Sometimes not. It seems to be working. Um, now, Brent, we've all been through this uh, year and a half. And while it's probably a good to be animating and making a, an animated comedy, it's been a hell of a, a, a year and a half in, in many other ways. Are you uh, uh, looking forward to, anxious to getting back out on the road? What, 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 how are you going to reemerge from this uh, pandemic shutdown we've all lived through? Yeah, I had to cancel a lot of stand-up shows. And, you know, that's still my favorite thing in the world to do is get out and, you know, get up on stage in front of a live audience and do stand-up. It's, I feel like that's, uh, that's where I'm the closest to being me, you know, the, the person that is at the core of my being, I'm most like them when I'm doing standup. Right. And um, so I, I always look forward to, I always did in between when we were going hiatus in between seasons, I would always hit the road and do standup. So, and you, so, you have, so you haven't been yourself lately is what you're saying too. I have not. I have not <laughs> been myself. I think that's uh, I, I'm in good company with most of the world there. Right. So yeah, I uh I have a, a tour booked uh through Ontario coming up, not nice. till the fall, like it's booked in um October. You can find the dates if you go to brentbutt.com and look at the Sea Brent Live. Uh so I have a run of shows in Ontario in um October. Before and before that I'll be doing some spots here in Vancouver at uh clubs and, and around just to get you know, to get, uh, as uh, Tom, there, as Huckleberry Finn said, to get the taste back in my mouth. Yeah, well, which is really vital for uh, stand-up comedy, isn't it? You've got to find your feet, and it's a muscle that you have to always uh, work, isn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's like one of those things that uh, I I kind of compare it to a boxer. If you don't, if you're not in the gym, if you're not in the ring, if you're not sparring, if you're not fighting, you still know everything you're supposed to do, and you you know when that shoulder rolls, you should duck to your left. But it all comes an eighth of a second too late. <laughs> right, and you get busted in the mouth a lot. That's what stand up is like. You know, I know exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. But if I haven't done it in a while, you see the ring rust. Yeah. And that's why that's, stand-ups always talk about the, uh, the ring rust. If you, if you have to do – if you have to go – I mean, normally I, w- I wouldn't go two weeks without doing a spot somewhere. Wow. That would be an extent uh, for – you know, when, when stand-up was all that I did, I, I was doing multiple shows every, every week. It was, you know, four or five, six shows a week. Um, and to go – months and months without doing a show it, it's one of the things that uh, the other comics my friends and i are talking about is the coming back to it the the kind of yeah dipping your toe back in and getting in front of a crowd and you're anxious and you love it but at the same time it's like this is this is a learned this is a this is a muscle i haven't worked in a while I know that uh, Ron James uh, uh, did a couple of uh, online shows that he's quite the road warrior and up and down and everywhere in Canada for many, many years. And uh, it was uh, a challenge to perform uh, to a camera without a live uh, audience response. Right. You know, I mean, that seems yeah. vital to any stand up comedian. But I've done I've done some of that, too. I've Have done um, some uh, uh, like stand up organized shows over zoom or whatever and i've done some corporate shows right and one of the things that uh you're you're right there's so there's no audience response in a way i find that liberating it's like (laughs) i i always call it radio funny you can just assume everybody's laughing you know and it's like well if i'm not hearing laughs that's a technical issue as opposed to if you're in a nightclub you're doing your show no right. laughs right. there's no uh, excuse. no excuse right so i find it kind of you know, weirdly liberating that is hilarious uh very uh, optimistic uh point but i think you're right that's the only way to approach it um but, uh, you know, have you been driving people crazy in, uh, at home? If, as Nancy had to watch you do nine minutes uh, uh, every other day, like, what, how do you get this out of your system? No, not really. I mean, she and I do. There's no getting around it. We entertain each other around the yeah. house, for sure. Yeah. Um, I think live and in person, just us kicking around the house, she's much more a performer than I am. She makes up songs. Whether I'm in the room or not, I'll hear her say, I'll come into a room. She doesn't know I'm in there, and she's halfway through a whole song that she's just spritzed off the top of her head. (laughs) But she'll also, you know, I'll be in my office writing and she'll just come into my office dancing and she'll say, watch me, watch, watch what I'm doing. (laughs) Like a kid. That's awesome. Like a a four-year-old. I got to stop working for a minute. She's doing a dance. Sounds pretty good. Sounds very pretty entertaining. Good. Yeah. yeah. No, there's there's worse people to spend a pandemic with. I, I guarantee you. I would think absolutely. Um, now, uh, besides returning to stand up, you've got the tour books in Ontario and some shows in uh, Vancouver. Um, what about another uh, TV show? Have you thought about what you might like to do uh, next in that area? Yeah, I have, and. Um, also, some movie ideas that I'm outlining, 
But I, <clears throat> during the pandemic, I took advantage of the situation of like, you're just going to be at home for great swaths of time. And you've always wanted to write a novel. So if you don't do it now, when yeah. are you going to do it? So I just committed to writing my first novel, which I did. And um, I, I like how it turned out. And I really, really enjoyed the process. And so I'm, I'm kind of looking to go down that road more. I, yeah. I, I want to write books. I, I, I write, um, I find that writing a novel, writing long form fiction like that versus scripts, for me, it's very liberating because I can talk about what the characters are thinking or I can talk about what they're feeling. In a script, you, you can't, re you shouldn't really write anything you can't dramatize, you know? Right. Um, and it's funny, I was talking to Linwood Barclay, who's like this best-selling New York Times uh, author. He's yeah. been getting into script writing, which he loves because he's like, I don't have to worry about all the other, what the characters are feeling <laughs> and thinking. I just say, he comes in the room, here he is, this is what he says. So it's funny, he and I are both, you know, dipping our toes into the other the other's form. And it's like the classic, the grass is always greener scenario, right? Where I, we both find this new thing so liberating. Well, it's interesting, though. Uh, Linwood Barclay was a, a longtime Toronto Star, a columnist, uh, yeah. a humor writer. Uh, and what you're talking about writing for television, writing for a novel, uh, it's different set of muscles, isn't it? Like, it's not the yeah. same voice. It's sort of like doing sketch comedy or stand-up comedy. They're not the same, are they? Uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're different animals entirely. I mean, at the end of the day, the, the, they're both stories so you know you kind of there there's a there's a kind of a primordial uh beginning middle and end structure that satisfies the human story need and so in that regard you can kind of anchor yourself in that but the way that they're done are, are so completely different and um it, it was really fun for me uh to and I said to Charlie Demers, who's a stand-up, but also a, a novelist, right. I said to him, you know, how much I enjoyed the process. I said, I'm really enjoying this. And he said, I knew you would. He said, I knew this. This to, When you told me you were writing a novel, I, I, he said, I, I said to myself, Brent's going to really enjoy this. And what was your and process, Brent? You got up early and you wrote in the morning for an hour, things like that? Yeah, usually m more than that, I would usually... I would try and break it down to, you know, a, a thousand words a day. <clears throat> and uh, I would get up, I would try and be writing by 6.30 in the morning. I would usually get up at 6, have, have a coffee, and by 6.30 I was writing. And, um, y you know, write for three, four hours a day. Some days I couldn't do that many hours because I had, I was also in production on an corner gas animated as well. Right. And I was had to deliver my duties on that. Yeah. <clears throat> so it's just a matter of squirreling away and finding the time. But for me, yeah, mostly it's early in the morning. And uh, when can we read this book? I don't know. Right now it's, uh, there are publishers waiting on it. I have um, a literary agent reading it and, you know, uh, I guess I'll find out whether it stinks or not <laughs> after that. Um, Linwood seemed to like it though. Linwood gave me some great notes. Oh, he, he read it and gave me some great notes and um, I've had some good feedback from, you know, beta readers, people that I've let read it. The, my, nice. my, the favorite thing I've got back, from somebody because it's because it's kind of not what you might expect me to write it's kind of a horror thriller 
book. Wow. It's based in the world of stand-up, but it, it, it's it's about comics who are on the road, and it becomes a horror, kind of a psychological thriller. And, um, you know, it's quite dark and quite gritty and violent in the language as you have on the road when there's comics in the road. So it might not be what people would expect from me, but um, uh, John Rogers who's a you know tv writer producer but former stand-up he he read it and he said if i'd paid 16 bucks for this at an airport on vacation i would be i would feel completely uh, uh, uh justified i would yeah. be satisfied by having and i said that well that's exactly the review that i want to have <laughs> somebody saying had i had i exchanged money for this on my holiday right. i would feel completely satisfied there's no more tangible uh thumbs up than that 16 bucks sounds a little little low though i think i think you want to charge a bit yeah i'll I'll let other people put that uh well that's something to look forward to and in the world of maybe it was a backward slam that he was saying normally a book is 30 bucks and you're saying yeah if i'd paid half that i'd well that's what i'm thinking (laughs) he waited until paperback um i think uh though that from what i recall many many years ago i think i mentioned i did some stand-up with a friend the two of us and uh we uh, i just remember there were aspects of that world that were uh horrific you know like you would see uh uh you know young adults uh the fear that uh, they'd be in their car with the radio up trying to get psyched to go on stage and then they would uh, die a horrible death in front of strangers <laughs> you know uh there, well i've never experienced that myself but uh, i can imagine where that yeah, would be yeah i'll save here <laughs> uh but uh it's a great idea so i'll look forward to that i can hardly yeah, it's basically it's like two two comics one from chicago one from ireland uh, are on. They agree. They each have a reason to accept this kind of sketchy run of shows through remote rural swath of Canada, and their opening act. They begin to suspect is um, emotionally volatile and has a clear capacity for violence. And as the tour progresses, they start to realize how how much a danger they're in being on the road with this guy. Wow! It's sort of uh, uh, yuck yucks meet strangers on a train. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> that's a great. That's that's a lot of, a lot of stuff to go there. That's awesome. Uh, well, congrats on that. We'll be right back after this message. Hey, buckle up, movie fans, and get set for the hottest event of the summer. Yes, I'm talking about Hollywood Suites Box Office Bonanza, a star-studded collection of number one films running straight through till the end of August. Highlights for me include one of the funniest movies ever made, Airplane, plus fun flicks such as Talladega Nights and The Naked Gun. Can't get enough sequels? All summer long, Hollywood Suites is showcasing Franchise Fridays, That's where you'll find Superman 1, 2, and 3, all three Men in Black movies, a couple of Rockies, Aliens, Matrixes, and Terminators, and even a pair of Kill Bills. Will the sweet host of Sylvester Stallone week? Hey, absolutely. Starting in July, including one-offs such as Cliffhanger, Copland, and Demolition Man. Get all the box office bonanza details online at Hollywood Suite Summer 2021. Yo, Adrian, tell him Rocky sent you. And we're back. Brent, I wanted to get your idea just literally now on the um, 
on 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 television in general in Canada. You know, there's uh, you're someone who's had a great deal of success, um, especially in the world of comedy, situation comedy in Canada. It's never been uh, uh, the the gloried um, tradition that you find in the United States. Uh, there's your show and really a handful of others in Canada. Um, but uh, we're, we're at a seems to be a crossroads now. Comedy in general doesn't seem to be at a high point in terms of television, uh, at least in network television. You know, the there was seems to that it always seems to be boom or bust there, and it does seem to be at a low point in terms of this fall, say the season. There's not a, not as many shows. Why why do you think that is? Partly, I think it's cyclical. I mean, it's always been this way. I remember in the '80s seeing. Uh, you know stories about the death of the sitcom the sitcom is dead and then and then you have shows like cheers and family ties and yeah. bring it all back again and people oh the sitcom is everything now right. and then it wanes it waxes and wanes much like our moon bill but i think <laughs> aside from that aside from that natural cyclical progression the waxing and waning i think it's also um you know Broadcast television is um, really fighting against streaming services now. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it seems like streaming services are really focused on, um, you know, bingeable dramas that are, you know, kind of darker, grittier. That seems to be what people are. People don't seem to want to binge watch half hour comedy. That, that that seems to be the industry notion, whether that's true or not. This uh, I don't mean to shock you, Bill. Uh, industry executives are have been known on rare occasions to have their head up their ass. Really, uh, on the rarest of occasions, well, they may God, say, no, "Nobody's going to watch a show about a bunch of people sitting around a bar." Never noticed that. Um, that uh, that does seem to be true. Although the uh, one show I just finished binging and really enjoyed was Hacks on uh, HBO. I've not started that yet. I'm going to because I'm a big Gene Smart fan, and it's uh, well, then you're, you're in for a real treat. I think it's especially too because she's playing a uh, comedian. She's uh, basically doing uh, Joan Rivers, and yeah. uh, it's it's a fascinating show. But even there, when you have a, a comedy that's successful now, it seems. It really isn't a comedy anymore. It's a dramedy. It's it's as much dramatic. Uh, you know, the Kaminsky method is a show more about aging, really, than yeah. uh, anything else. Uh, and that seems to be the route that you that uh, people are are into now. Um, do you think? I think I think it'll all come around. Like I said, there's a cyclical na- cyclical nature of this because for it's like anything if you ha- if you love cheese and you eat a le- well cheese is a bad example because i would never get tired of that but if you eat nothing but uh you know chicken maybe i should right. get out of the food uh, right. uh, arena here this is a bad analogy for yeah. me um but you know if you partake of one thing nonstop for two three years sardines sardines yeah that's i don't, I don't know who could do that for two years <laughs> <laughs> or three minutes, yeah. but um, yeah, it's it's natural that we want to you know you know try something different, and so that's the nature of it. It's always been the cop show is dead. Oh, hang on, here's here's a hit cop show. Now here's fifteen more. Yeah, and uh, the sitcom is dead. Well, here's one that's uh, people are watching. Okay, well here's a, a hundred and six more. It it is a bit shocking when you look at this fall schedule. I think there are nine hours of Dick Wolf shows on uh, on two networks in the states and all over the Canadian networks, 
And if you look at the most watched shows in Canada, they are all cop or doctor shows. Um, that does seem to be down to where it is. Like it was uh, in the 70s. Yes, like it was. And, uh, Mannix and uh, Adam 12, Emergency. Yeah, all those guys. Uh, all those. Bar- Barnaby Jones. Um, do, you, would, do you think your next show at some point uh, might be uh, for a streaming service then? Is that a, a, the logical next step for a creator? Maybe. I mean, well, you know, one of the things that I like a really, you know, it would be a satisfying path for me, I think, is if I could write books that then um, screenwriters turn into yeah. scripts. Yeah. Like if I, if I could have Stephen King's life, that would be fantastic. Where I write a novel and then some, somebody who's really good at making movies turns that novel into a movie. Right. That seems like... Wouldn't it? I just I think, feel like that would be fantastic. I and think, so often it seems like Stephen King, although with his latest one, Elise's story, he did all the teleplays for it as well. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not like I'd have to totally throw up the wall and say I'm never going to do a script again. But I do. One of the things that I, I've come to really love from doing TV and film over the years is just how collaborative it is. And when you... um when you work with other creative people and you see what they bring to the table, it's so enriching, you know, and um, seeing how, like when I write a script and then seeing how a director blocks it on the day, and it's so different from how I envisioned it. Yeah. Just just visually, those kind of things. I always love that. So there's part of me that loves like, if my novels, like if I wrote a novel and then I could sit back in a theater and watch how some skilled filmmakers turned it into a, a movie, I feel like I would, you know, there's a chance you'd hate it, but I feel like I would just love the process. Even if I, even if I thought, well, they really screwed that up. I feel like I would love the process of seeing how it's, I mean, even going back to high school, when I wrote my first, like that was the first time that I wrote a play and then saw other people acting wow. what I yeah. wrote. It was probably up to that time, the most rewarding thing I'd ever experienced. Wow. And um, I just loved it so much. And I feel like I would get the same sort of thrill just in a different way. If I could write a book and then see how a skilled screenwriter and a skilled director and great actors would put that story that I put on paper into uh, a movie. Yeah. uh, I feel like it would be hugely satisfying. Well, I've read about some writers, you know, Larry McMurtry, perhaps, uh, you know, they, they uh, were approached by the screenwriter. They wanted to make sure they got his version. And basically his advice was, um, don't bug me. This is your show now. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, the book is my show. The, the, TV, the movie is your show kind of thing. Yeah, it kind of depends how, to what degree you feel your story has been savaged or whatnot. <laughs> like, like Stephen King famously doesn't like the movie The Shining. He feels right. it was too different from his book and it told a different story and he feels the wife character was such a uh, milksop in the movie and, and in, the, in yeah. the novel, she's quite a strong character, you know. Uh. And so he, he had a number of issues with The Shining, but at the same time, he loved Carrie. You know, the, the the ending of Carrie in the movie is not the way his book ends. Huh. And he said he jumped out. He jumped four feet in the theater when he saw what happened. He loved it. He was we all did. Yeah. So so it's, you know, I but I but I think that notion of seeing how people interpret your work um, and what they add to it and what they choose to take away, I think would just be very interesting and fun. 
Have you ever watched any of the other, um, there has been over the years, animated shows that are based on real-life uh, comedies and TV shows, adaptations. Uh, they Star Trek, famously, they got the original cast back to do an animated version. Right. There's, I, have, I collect 60-millimeter film. I have a print of a Gilligan's Island animated with everybody <laughs> but the professor and Marianne came back. And didn't uh, they also go into space, Gilligan's Island? They did an animated they- <laughs> in space. I think they Gilligan's did. asteroid kind of thing. Yeah, I think they did. Uh, the Brady Bunch, uh, Happy Days, Work and Mindy. Uh, all of them in space. I, right. I, I assume they all did a version of them in space. Well, except Work and Mindy. That would have been too redundant, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Um, I remember watching, like, when I was a kid, The Beatles uh, animated and, oh, yeah. uh, and enjoying that as a kid. Then later as an adult thinking, why is there one guy doing the voice for all four of these people? And he doesn't really <laughs> sound different than many of the others. <laughs> uh, my memory of that show was I had a little plastic guitar. And whenever that the Beatles animated show would come on, I would run to wherever that guitar was. I had to grab it and come in and like dance around and jerk around to the TV with my guitar in my hand. <laughs> That's great. I was 23 years old. Right, it was a few with, years ladies ago. And gentlemen. I was going to say. Uh, well, very good. And, and just, um, again, to the to the state of Canada to, uh, to television in Canada, um, there's been a lot of attention lately about uh, the Broadcast Act being rewritten, about um, perhaps changing the way things are done, the business model for Canadian TV. It's been for years and years and years done in a certain way in terms of uh, funding, and uh, everything is sort of on the table now, being examined, and and uh, a lot of people. It's in reaction to, of course, streaming services and over-the-top production and, and how money is generated for funding. Um, do you follow this? Are you into it? Are you looking? I, I don't at all. And I probably should, being a, uh, an adult in the industry, but also at the same time, I, I, I have no misgivings as to where my strengths and weaknesses are. Right. And one of my weaknesses is, um, as much as I'm, I've always been entrepreneurial and kind of fascinated with business. It's really broad strokes business. It's really like conceptual business. And um, I feel like at my core, my strength is, um, you know, I'm a storyteller. I, I like creating characters, putting them in situations, having them say and do interesting things. That's where my strength is. And I think that however the business shakes out, it's going to be good or bad, but People who understand the industry as a whole and people who understand my, in, my um, interests as a storyteller, there are people who know this stuff so much more than me that I have to – I'm lying to myself if I think I can do anything other than stand back and hope it shakes out in my favor. I, I really need to concentrate – I've never believed in writing for the market. That's why I wrote a show about a gas station in Saskatchewan. That's not somebody chasing a fortune. That's not somebody, (laughs) you know what the industry needs. (laughs) So I've always written because there's something in my head that I can't stop thinking about and getting it down on paper, whether it's a song or a book or a TV show or a movie or a sketch. Sometimes I just write a sketch and I shelf it. I got no place to put it, but I write things down because that's who I am. I think at my core is I'm a guy who, you know, I'm a beginning, middle and end storytelling guy, characters in situations saying and doing interesting things. And I, I, I just need to focus on that and, and, and let people who are smarter about those other things, battle it out 
And in a way, it's kind of part of me feels guilty about that. Part of me goes, well, God, then you should be in there swinging. And I'll say, I, I'll punch the wrong guy. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not against the fight, but you should be fighting for something. And I'm not, I don't have the particular skill set required to know the ins and outs of, I mean, it's a very layered thing. Well, know? yeah, it, it is. Back to what we were talking about earlier. It Why you d- dig your heels in over something you clearly don't know, but let the experts I think you're selling yourself short on that side, though, Brad. You've, your track record would suggest that as as much as you are a creative force, you're also a production force. Uh, it's not easy to make a show and get it on and get it but, on for seven. You know, look, look at this legacy of the franchise that is Corner yeah, Gas. That, That's that a has to do with That has a lot to do with me focusing on the funny and saying, let me... Let me make sure that these stories hold together and the characters are funny and the scripts are good and I'll watch everything being filmed and I'll talk to the director and I'll say, it's too slow for that entrance. We got to get to that entrance sooner. I'll do the edit of the show and I'll, I'll say, well, that's too wordy. We could take this out. I'll, I'll, I'll take care of that. Somebody else talk to the bank. Somebody <laughs> else talk to the union. Right. Somebody else talk to the Writers Guild. Right. And and, you know, my partner, Virginia, did that. My partner, David Story, did that. Uh, You know, like I said, like I said to David Story, I don't know how many lights we need. And and he's like, I know exactly how many lights we need. (laughs) Well, that is that worked out pretty well. How is David doing, by the way? He's uh, good. He's kind of he's he's like in semi retirement. I know. Yeah. Good for him. So he's he's really enjoying it. He's got a you know, he's living in a. Uh, outside of a little town there in Ontario. Nice. Good for him. Living life. Uh, now, just finally, uh, tease us a bit. We know uh, there's some celebrity guest voices coming up in season four, and one in particular that you're not going to spill the beans on, but to tell, tell us who you can tell us right now. Um, well, much like I'm your first return guest here, Mark McKinney is the first person to have appeared uh, do a cameo in live action and animated. So he, he appears as the uh, Frank Shoddy, the pilot uh, yeah. who flies the plane that Lacey and Wanda are, are wrestling in. And uh, yeah. the Brent gets knocked out of the first Spoiler episode. Alert. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, Rick Mercer who, you know, I've been a fan of for so long and uh, got to know and, you know, we're, we're on a friendly basis. Um, finally got to get him on Corner Gas. And um, Simu Liu does a fantastic uh, yeah. cameo as a, as a hypnotist who uh, stopped being a hypnotist and now works at like a uh, bulk retailer. There's a guy that needs uh, more work, too. He needs uh, another income. Uh, you know, he's in dire shape. He's a Marvel superhero now, right? Yeah, I like to think that we helped get him his gig as a Marvel superhero. There it's you funny, go. too, because I grew I loved watch, I loved reading Shang-Chi as a really? kid. It was, you know, in the 70s, everything was kung fu. Yeah. I was, if, if it had kung fu or sharks, I was all on board. <laughs> Both, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it's funny, like, to, uh, you know, have, have him come and do a guest spot on this, and then he ends up playing the part of shang chi yeah um uh stephen page from one of the naked, naked ladies yeah tremendous singer and uh now um kim coates kim coates oh, has fantastic. a really funny cameo kim coates yeah. cameo it's one of the one of my favorite things i've i've ever written in the, in this wow is where the, it, just his little cameo because it's a fantasy sequence wherein he has a tattoo of oscar 
And it's kind of a high concept. The tattoo of Oscar on his shoulder won't shut up. It keeps nagging <laughs> at So it's kind of a high concept fantasy piece, but it played really funny. He's, just a, he's a biker who's exhausted by his own tattoo. That is hilarious. Is, is Kim also from Saskatchewan? He is, yeah. Yeah, that's he's what I thought. He's only from Saskatchewan. Uh, well, that'll be something to look forward to. And then finally, you've got, you're teasing us. There's a big, some big Hollywood hotshot is going to be part of, I think, the final episode of uh, of Corner Gas Animated. Is that true? That may or may not be true, Bill. I'm not at liberty to, uh, <laughs> you said yourself, I can't discuss. Right. Yeah, we have a, we have a, uh, we have a cameo guest that we are as yet unable to, speak about but it's somebody that i hoped that we could get for for a long time and you know you have these people on your radar and you can sometimes you're able to get them sometimes you can't uh, bob newhart was somebody i always wanted to get in for the live action we weren't able to make that work wow but michael j fox was somebody i wanted to get and we got yeah. him to do not only a cameo but he, he was a guest star for like a whole big episode and that was like a dream come true so you kind of have your your list of dream dates you know right and sometimes you can land them and sometimes you can't and we well, were able to land one here and it's uh i'm very excited about it and it it is, i've just been going through the animatic of it and the scene is very very funny too oh that's great and that that is the final episode yeah in the, in the finale fantastic you had Kiefer sutherland you had all kinds of great cameos didn't you We've had uh, three sitting prime ministers yes that's Corner right Gas. and two, two doing the two, live action and one in animated and one kneeling I think that's right. <laughs> well, Brent, it's always a pleasure, and uh, it's good to see you looking uh, hale and uh, healthy and uh, surviving uh, the last year and a half. Uh, break a leg on the road and uh, dying to read your book. Looking forward to more news on that. But in the meantime, congratulations on the fourth season of Corner Gas Animated. It premieres on uh, July the fifth on CTV Comedy. And uh, I guess that means it can also be seen on several other uh, Crave and other uh, CTV apps and other places as well, right? Uh, Yes, at at some point. I I think there's a bit of a lag between when they broadcast and when they get on Crave. But, uh, yeah, you'll certainly you certainly will be able to see it on Crave. Yeah, well, it's a lot of people will see it. Number one, it's the most watched show on CTV comedy and uh, something uh, Canadians are quite proud of and proud of you, too. So congratulations for all your great work on that series and best of luck. I look forward to talking to you soon on uh, some other project. Well, thanks, Bill. And thanks for all your support over the years. You've been uh, a champion of the show from the get-go. And so my if I was wearing a hat, my hat's off to you. Thanks, well, for, it's thanks easy for spreading to- the word. Hey, it makes me laugh out loud. Easy to do. Happy to do it. So I uh, look forward to your next success. Thanks a lot, Brent. Thanks, Bill. That's it for this episode of Brio TV, the podcast. Please follow and subscribe for all the info on future episodes. And remember, you can always catch up on TV news and reviews daily at Brio.tv. Thanks for listening. Express yourself.